You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, we live. This is Locked On Hornets, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Check us out all on Twitter, at Walker Mail, at Not of the Scribe, and at Doug Branson, LOH. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms at Locked On Hornets. It's only going to be me today. Doug and Nada are both taking more time off for the holidays, so it's just going to be me for today and tomorrow on Monday. I'll probably will be go, going solo once again. Maybe Doug and Nada will join me then. We will not have a show on Tuesday, so maybe we can get Rick Bennell to hop on with us tomorrow on Friday, but we will not be having a show on Tuesday. Of course, that will be for New Year's, and then we should get back at it on that Wednesday. So that looks like the schedule ahead might be subject to change, but at least that's what it's looking like right now. Uh, we've got Hornets Chief Operating Officer Pete Gwilly on the pod coming up in the second segment, so that'll be fun to chat with him. It's Steve Martin, Classic Night. They're going to honor him with a halftime presentation, so that'll be cool. Former Hornets play-by-play announcer Steve Martin will be honored tonight in the fourth of the classic nights of the uh, eight that are going to be coming your way. We'll take a look at what the Hornets have coming up in the next few games, see if they can get this thing back on track, and we'll start it off with what happened last night. What a brutal loss to the Nets in double overtime. First off, I hope everyone had a happy holiday. We appreciate you listening to the podcast each and every day, so thanks so much for your support, whether it's subscribing to Patreon, subscribing to the podcast, just finding a way to listen. We have so much gratitude on our end, so thank you guys once again. It really means a lot for us to keep this thing going and you guys checking us out and being interactive with us on Twitter. All good stuff. Thanks so much. And we hope you had a happy holiday. And I wish we could say the same for the Charlotte Hornets, who maybe Friday they came into the weekend with a good one as they did beat the Detroit Pistons. It's been a while since we talked last. So Friday they beat the Detroit Pistons. So they have that tiebreaker. If it comes down between the Pistons and the Hornets having the same record, the Hornets will have that tiebreaker to get into the postseason or to get that higher seed, whatever scenario you might see them in a tie. But then they lost to the Boston Celtics where it was garbage time basically for some of these other guys to get minutes. It was decided well before the final buzzer. And then you had last night. It was entertaining at times to watch, but eventually it became just heartbreaking for you as a Charlotte Hornet fan. The Charlotte Hornets lose 134 to 132 on just one bucket, and that was final overtime. The Brooklyn Nets were able to hit a game-winning shot in the second of the extra periods that you had. A lot to break down from this game, especially in late-game situations where the Hornets, it's just a ridiculous stat where they only have those four wins in the last 20, I believe, of the one-possession games that are decided in the final minute or so. It's insane. At this point, you just become accustomed to it as a Charlotte Hornets fan, and yet you still have so much hope. But then there are so many just moronic mistakes that you see from these Hornets teams. And you got bailed out in two of them last night, and asking for the Malik Monk mistake to get bailed out was just too much. It was at the end of the game where he loses that ball. He turns it over with no help from the defense whatsoever. And Joe Harris eventually is able to hit that game winner. But let's take it back. Let's try to find ourselves here. Try not to get so disoriented trying to figure out exactly what happened. And let's start at the end of the fourth quarter. So Kimball Walker goes to the free throw line after he gets fouled. Rondé Hollis Jefferson 
is all up in Kimba Walker's grill. So I thought it was a correct call. You could see him hip-checking Kimba the entire time. And later on in the game, we would learn that the Brooklyn Nets did a good job of keeping it out of Kimba Walker's hands. And certainly in those game-tying, game-winning field goal attempts for the Charlotte Hornets. And they did a really good job of making it tough for Kimba Walker to get it at the end of regulation. But he so did, and he tries to dribble to the right side, and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is riding him, man. I mean, he hip-checks him to where the ref actually does blow the whistle. He takes part in the game, which is fine. It was the correct call for me. Kimba Walker goes to the foul line. It's a tie ball game. The Charlotte Hornets go up one after Kimba Walker hits that free throw. And then there's about three and a half seconds left when Kimba Walker misses the second. It's short, it draw, it bounces close to Kimba, and that allows him to at least fight for the ball with Damari Carroll. Damari ends up winning, and Kimba just doesn't give up the fight. It's, it's continuing to be physical when you don't need to be physical at that time. And it was a foul. It was the right call. And Kimba doesn't allow him to have any kind of breathing room to put up a half-court heave or maybe a little bit closer, but it certainly was going to be a desperation shot. Brooklyn didn't have any more timeouts left, so Damari Carroll had the ball in his hands and had to try to make something happen. And after the initial attempt to get that ball, Kimba just needs to leave it alone. Why are you even close to that guy in that situation or just go back? That is not how anybody plays defense in that kind of scenario. And Kimba continues to be physical with Damari Carroll 75 feet away from the basket. And the refs call a foul. It was the correct call. So Damari Carroll goes to the free throw line. He hits the first one, ties the ball game up. And then Damari shoots the second one. It misses. It rims out. But it doesn't matter because you see Nick Batum jump into the lane about a century before Damari Carroll eventually shot that ball. And Nick camped out. So you knew as soon as that ball missed, we knew they were going to get a second try at it. You had to call that one. Usually lane violations are somewhat ticky-tacky. Sometimes you have a guy's toe in the lane and it gets called. But for the most part, refs will let it slide. You could not let that one slide. So I'm not here to bash the officials today. The officials got those calls correct. Kimba fouled and Nick Batum had a lane violation. They still were able to survive at least for the time being. You go in overtime. Malik Monk, by the way, still playing in this game. Played well down the stretch in regulation. Probably had a couple of boneheaded plays in the first overtime, but was able to contribute a couple of big shots in both periods combined. And then the end of the game happened. Well, the Hornets try to force it to Kimba. They almost turn it over. They did a really good job of getting that basketball out of Kimba Walker's hands. Then Malik Monk has it at the top of the key, very close to the half-court line. Malik Monk starts to go in ISO mode. He's remembering his days back at Kentucky. He's back at Lexington. He's got a different shade of blue on. And Malik tries to drive to the right, and eventually the ball just slips out of his hands. There was no factor whatsoever in what the defense did on that particular play. Malik Monk just lost it. The Nets pick it up. They dribble it all the way down the court. Joe Harris has a layup attempt. And then you had that mess with the officiating and the shot clock not going off, and then the Hornets would get another chance at it, but eventually it wouldn't go, and Malik Monk, at the end of the game, let the ball slip through his hands. Now, this is not all Malik Monk's fault either. 
Remember, Kimball Walker got bailed out because Damari Carroll missed a couple of free throws. Nick Batum got bailed out because he was in the lane violation for one of those missed free throws. Malik Monk just didn't get bailed out. Malik had some boneheaded plays, but he also had some tremendous plays. Had that play earlier in, the, in regulation where he dribbled it around his back in a fast break opportunity. Took the hit, hung up in the air for a while and hit that layup. Hit a big three after airballing a, <laughs> one shot and having a couple of questionable shots in the first OT. And Borrego showed you that he decided to go with some offense there, leaving him in the game. And defensively, I think you could see Malik Monk try. I think there was one time he let a guy drive right by him in overtime. But for the most part, I think you saw Malik Monk actually doing some decent things on defense, on the defensive side. And Eric Collins brought this point up where he only shot a couple of times at the mention of this, at the end of regulation. But he still still was playing 14 minutes, and he was still playing down the stretch. So Borrego at least put his faith in Malik Monk at that time, and there's nothing, I think, at the end of regulation, at least to me, that you're saying, yeah, that's the reason that they lost this game. A lot of points given up in the fourth quarter, but Malik Monk, except for that awful decision, and there was a couple shots in overtime. I feel like regulation. You saw Malik Monk turn it around for a decent portion, and Kimball Walker had a great game. He finishes with 35 points. It seems like he's out of a slump from December now. He's had a couple of games, sure. But you wanted to see a few games consistently that Kimball was able to hit at 50%. So despite going all of December, not having hit 40% of his shots in any of those games, in that second quarter against Cleveland, he really starts to get going. Brings all his field goal percentage up to 42 in that game. Hadn't shot under 50 in the three games that have happened since. So Kimba, he's out of a slump, at least out of a shooting slump. Marvin Williams hit some big shots. He had a big three in the corner. Thought Eric Collins was going to need some help. (laughs) Nick Batum, he came up with some big plays. He hit a long two, wish it would have been a three, but hit a long two late in that game. Jeremy Lamb was 11 of 18, was good offensively. Defensively, he had a lot of lapses. Lost Joe Harris in the corner for the Nets to go on that 8-1 to one run that they had at the end of the game. And Jeremy Lamb, there was a couple times defensively, he did not look good. And that's something that old Steve Clifford is shaking his fist out about right now. His Jeremy Lamb, no defense senses are tingling as we speak, I'm sure. But Jeremy Lamb... Really had a play in that. And then you look at Cody Zeller. Only 22 minutes for him last night. How about him missing chippies at the beginning of that game? Couldn't buy a basket despite him being with inside five feet for a lot of the field goal attempts. And that's why Cody didn't play. 22 minutes, that's less than half of what Nick Batum played. Marvin Williams, Jeremy Lamb, and Kimba Walker. Marvin, Nick, and Kimba all playing 44 minutes. Jeremy Lamb playing the most at 49 MKG only playing 15, Miles Bridges playing 14. Billy was in there for a stretch in the second half, but he only played 14 minutes. Tony Parker wasn't hitting shots, so they needed Malik Monk to step up, and he did in certain instances. And then there were certain instances where he didn't, and that's the roller coaster season of Malik Monk in his second year trying to contribute for the Charlotte Hornets team. But man, that's a tough one to wrap your brain around. To have that game won, and then Kimball Walker have that kind of foul, and then at the end of the game, you just don't even get a shot. In fact, you give the Nets a very easy basket, a layup at the other end. Oh, that That's about as brutal of a loss as you're going to get with no kind of magnitude of the playoffs or anything like that. 
just to see a team lose the way they did. That one is tough to bounce back from. Hopefully they can do it against Brooklyn on Friday night because Brooklyn is a team that is surging up 17 and 19 right now. And that's after having won nine of their last 10 games with that Hornets game included. That team is only going to get better too. Atkinson has them playing extremely well. They're young. They're only going to get better. Spencer Dinwiddie is a potential six man of the year candidate with the way he's playing. Looked very good last night. That Nets team is surging up and you have to now contend with the Nets Along with Detroit, who if they have one game ahead of you in the stand, I mean, you haven't put Detroit away despite beating them three times. If they have one more game than you, then that tiebreaker doesn't matter. It's just a nice thing to have in your back pocket. The Heat, that record is tied with you right now. You have the tiebreaker, sure, but you have two games for them to even tie that season series up. So now that you have this big, long road trip waiting for you in the next after the next four games or so, You have Orlando, you have Washington, you have Brooklyn. Then you have Dallas at home on January 2nd before you start to go on that road trip. And they will not play another Eastern Conference opponent until after that Orlando Magic game. The next one they'll have is January 20th against the Indiana Pacers. And you have a lot of road games, that big old West Coast rip. It's why we wanted to provide a cushion for ourselves here in Charlotte. And the Hornets have just not been able to do so. Wildly frustrating. Last night might just be a perfect summary of what this Hornets team has gone through, trying to get back to 500, eventually not being able to win a close game and losing in that way. That was brutal. We appreciate you joining us and listening to us here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. A big shout-out to 730 The Game's Essex Home Studios, but also a big shout-out to the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. We'll be back after the break. We have Pete Gwilly, Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of the Charlotte Hornets. We'll talk about the classic night that will take place at the Spectrum Center on Friday night against the Brooklyn Nets. Should be a lot of fun. Stick around with us here on LOH. This is Locked on Hornets. 10, Al Jefferson. 9, Anthony Mason. 8, Gerald Wallach. 7, Baron Davis. 6, Del Curry. 5, Glenn Rice. 4, Muggsy Bogues. 3, Larry Johnson. 2, Alonzo Mourning. Nice. Number 1, top Charlotte Hornet of all time, Kimba Walker. Thank you, everybody. The list is done. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. We've got another classic night coming up tomorrow night against the Brooklyn Nets. It's the fourth classic night game this season. There's eight in total, so make sure you get your tickets to the one and uh, this one at least and catch the Hornets in their throwback white jerseys. The court transports you right back to the mid-90s, and what makes Friday night so special is that there will be a halftime presentation for former play-by-play voice Steve Martin, who retired at the end of last season. You also get a Steve Martin bobblehead. It's got the Alonzo morning call on it from when they won that series in 1993 against the Celtics. A lot of cool stuff going on uh, tomorrow night against the Brooklyn Nets. He was on the mic every single season in Hornets and Bobcat history until this season, and we have just the man to discuss all of what goes on and into this behind the scenes. Pete Gwilly, Chief Operating Officer of the Charlotte Hornets, now joining the pod. He's on Twitter at Pete Gwilly. Pete, thanks so much for joining us once again, man. How are you? I'm doing great, Walker. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for, for joining us, Pete. So it, talking with Steve Martin, him, of course, being honored tomorrow night. How excited is Steve? 
Oh, my God. I, I, you know, last year when he retired, we we tried to do some things for him, but it's impossible kind of in that short window to recognize a guy like that, at least the way that he, he deserves to be recognized. So we finally get a chance to really officially roll out the red carpet. And, you know, these classic nights have been a lot of fun, but when you can start honoring some individuals, especially some people like Steve who have made huge contributions off the court, it's really special. I know he and his entire family are really thrilled. Yeah, and of course, uh, a guy that you've worked with for a little while, uh, Pete, and so where does this one, uh, where does this game and this honor rank for you along all the stops that we've gone through here in Hornets Nostalgia? You know, I mean, they really just keep getting better. The first couple were great, and obviously honoring, honoring the 30th anniversary team was was very cool. Letting the fans vote on, on who were the most important players to them and then having them come and participate. And then the, the next one, the last one we did with Muggsy, and that's what I talk about, just keep getting better. That was so emotional. His connection to the fans and the city was so apparent. It was one of the more special halftime ceremonies I've ever been a part of in, in my career. And then now with Steve, again, somebody who's made such an impact on the franchise, I and mean, every single moment that you associate with the Hornets, every special moment, every memory steve is somehow integrated into so you know, he's obviously an icon and a legend and you know when you're the broadcasting voice of the first professional sports team in the city that's something that's really hard to hard to replicate and i think our fans just really appreciate steve and now it's going to be just a great great mm-hmm. night honoring him pete how much of a challenge has this season been for you compared to others you've been a part of with this being the 30th anniversary you know in, in some ways it's been easier, honestly, because, you know, a lot of seasons you're trying to determine what's that direction, and, and the seasons take so many twists and turns, it's hard to say exactly how things are going to manifest themselves. But in a year like this, you know, we knew we were locked in on the 30th anniversary from day one. So probably the, the most challenging part was just making it as fan-centric as possible and really going out and trying to determine what were the memories that meant the most to our fans and making sure that we were acknowledging all of them. And you have a responsibility, I think, an obligation just to do it the right way. So it was really probably just more the level of work that went into it, making some decisions on how we were going to roll this out. But it, you know, directionally, it was easy. Once we brought the brand back, these are the special moments in our history that we wanted to capture. And the 30th anniversary was just a perfect opportunity for that. So, Pete, the all-star voting process has begun. Kimba certainly in the running as an all-star starter. Looks like he'll be an all-star, of course. But maybe the starter is, is going to be the one where everybody needs to vote and put it out there so Kimba can be one of the starting five for the Eastern Conference. How does this kind of battle for an all star spot affect what you have in store as far as the marketing department goes yeah you know it's interesting you know you don't spend a ton of resources in in most years trying to get a guy voted in because it's it's tough you know there's a lot of guys that have just big brands out there maybe playing bigger markets that are the you know kind of the people you would expect to put up big numbers but i think this year's obviously a little bit different you know one kemba's a two-time all-star already He's definitely on the national radar. He's getting accolades across the country. I think he's in every conversation relative to the All-Star. And then the game's here. So we're trying to put a little more emphasis on it and um, and focus more in on trying to, to get people out to vote and get them involved, get them involved and see how many we can actually draw for him. I still think, you know, just in general, you know, from a smaller market, it's going to be a challenge, but we think it's, it's definitely worth the effort. And then the league, you know, they have a partnership with Google this year that's made it easier to vote than any year since I've been around. And you simply go in and Google Kemba's name and it pops right up and you have an opportunity to vote for him. So, you know, I think in sometimes there was at least some logistics around it that made it more challenging, but now it's easier than ever locally or nationally to vote for Kemba. And Pete, as you mentioned, the All-Star game is coming up here soon, not too far away. What are the finishing touches that you guys have to take care of before it's done? You know, we're going through that process now. It's definitely been, I think, more work than anybody could have anticipated, even though it's the league's event as the host city and the host team. 
there's just a lot of hoops you need to jump through to get everything done. And, you know, the one thing that I'm, I'm really, we're really proud of is that the city is going to be on display internationally. And, and so far, everything's lined up great. Right now, it's all about kind of finalizing that process of finishing touches on events and, you know, security plans and perimeters and those types of things to make sure that you can actually get people in and out of the space in kind of a safe way and make sure that when they come here they have a great experience so it's really more about that right now a lot of the heavy lifting has already been done um, but it's going to be just an incredible event for the city i don't know that there's ever been a bigger sporting event or ever will be a bigger sporting event the economic impact is is massive in the eyes of the world and the best players in the world will be sending upon charlotte here in the short period of time. It, it's going to be fantastic i'm excited for it and, and pete i know you mentioned that you know you have to take care of some things the nba does as well so what is the extent of your and the hornets responsibility to make sure everything runs smoothly and where does that? Where does the NBA take over? Where is that line drawn? Well, like I said, it's the NBA's event. They're ultimately responsible. But we, you know, we have a, a massive team internally, a committee set up that's dealing with, obviously, with the league, dealing with our host committee sponsors, working closely with the city and the county, because there's a lot of logistics here on the ground that you know only the host team and the city can really prepare for. So it's a, it's definitely a collaborative effort between both. But a lot of it is more the logistical aspects of putting a game on like this and, and making sure that it runs smoothly. And now, Steve, again, going back to some of the classic nights that we've had so far, we have five more games, including tomorrow night and half the season. So perhaps this question is a little ahead of time, but <laughs> do you plan on incorporating classic nights next season as well? I mean, it's, it's the 30th anniversary. You mentioned that might be a little bit easier because you know what angle you're taking. But yeah. also, I mean, do, do you expect some things like this to happen and even next season in the 31st year of existence. Yeah, I mean, we haven't made any firm decisions on that yet, but I would say it's it's highly likely, Walker. I mean, they've been just they've just resonated very well with our fans. I mean, they've been incredibly successful so far. People really are embracing them. And, you know, when you invest in things like the court, you definitely want to get more than one year out of it. Sure. I think you guys know from a, a uniform plan, there's an, another color that we haven't rolled out yet. So I think there's definitely an opportunity for us to continue you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think it'll be as aggressive as it was obviously this year with the 30th anniversary. But you know, people just love it. I, I've had so many comments on people asking, "Can we play in the classic court every night? Can we play <laughs> wear the classic jersey every night?" I go, "Yeah, we could, but then it wouldn't really be classic anymore." So we're we're still going to continue to be strategic about how we use it and also grow, you know, the the primary brand as well at the same time. But I, I think we're going to I think for some time we'll continue to celebrate the heritage of this team. Yeah, and P, and that last question for me, I mean, how do you find that line of trying to celebrate the nostalgia and celebrate all the classic nights that we have here, but also try to embrace the new marketing and the new logo and all the new things that are a part of this franchise. Yeah, you know, again, it's a challenge, and even from year to year, because you don't know, you know, which player, you know, obviously we've got Kemba, who's an all-star, but you don't know which players develop and who you want to kind of build things around for any particular season. A lot of it has to do with the schedule and when that comes out, what that looks like and what your big games are and what the big dates are. So it, it it is tough. I think um, again, I don't have a number right now, but I mean, there's always going to be a certain percentage of what we do that's going to have a slight slant towards uh, you know the legacy of the Hornets because that's that's why we brought it back. You know, we've had this conversation before, Walker. You know, we didn't invent any of this. Any of this. They did an incredible job in in '88 rolling out this team and this brand, and and all we're doing is bringing it back to life and evolving it slightly and trying to leverage some of the history and some of the memories that people have. But there's so much there. It's so rich. We brought it back for a reason. So I would anticipate it always being you know, a significant part of what we do moving forward. All right. Always enjoy having them. Remember, it's Classic Night tomorrow night at the Spectrum Center. The first 10,000 fans will get a Steve Martin bobblehead that has a recording of his famous Alonzo morning call. You can listen to that series winning shot against the Celtics over and over if you want to. Also, 
Real quickly, Swarm 365 memberships for the 2018 and 19 season are on sale now. Swarm 365 memberships start at $48 on average in the lower level and as low as $12, just $12 on average in the upper level. And for those classic plans, the individual games or the Swarm 365 membership, fans can call 704-HORNETS, 704-HORNETS, or visit hornets.com. Pete, thanks so much once again for stopping by, and we'll see you over at Spectrum. Thanks, Walker. I always appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks once again to Pete Gwilly. One more segment to go before we'll wrap up things here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You're listening to us here on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. And but, I have plenty of hurricane snacks. Went out and bought some Chex Mix. <laughs> yeah. Which What kind of Chex Mix? This savory. Matters. It was a savory Chex Mix. It's you're a an, lot you're, of cheese going on in that Chex oh, Mix. You're an expert on Chex Mix, correct? Right? Well, on I, just I'm, trail mix. I'm very particular about my trail mix. I'm what, not as particular, particular about, about my Chex, Chex Mix. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Appreciate you joining us here just a couple of days after Christmas. And it's still probably the season of giving. At least we're close to it. And we're giving you daily Hornets talk in your podcast feed. We need you to show your support by joining our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month. Just $1. You'll be supporting the content that you depend on. Patreon.com slash LOH. Once again, it's Patreon.com slash LOH. And if you're still in the giving mood, then perhaps you can give a few votes to Kimball Walker as a starter in the All-Star game up until January 21st. So as we just discussed there with Pete Willie, they're going to try to employ some kind of marketing scheme to get more votes for Kimba. It's not going to be easy because of all the different stars that you have out there. Certainly, how many good guards that you have that are going to be a part of the Eastern Conference All-Star team. But Kimba Walker played a very good half of the season. There was that month of December that perhaps wasn't so good. But Kimba, certainly a guy that's going to be in the mix as a starter in the Eastern Conference. And if you want to vote for him, this voting process started on Christmas Day. And so you can vote one time each day via NBA.com, the NBA app, or via Google. Google has that thing that Pete was talking about where you can just type in their name and it shows right up there. And then you can vote for them in that way. So pretty cool that you can vote for Kimba Walker in so many different ways. And you can do so again one time each day. The voting opened up on Christmas Day. You can vote up until 11 a.m. on January 21st. So January 21st, that's the day that you have to have in mind if you want to try to vote Kimba Walker in as an all-star starter. I think it's going to be tough for him to get in. Kyrie Irving is probably a guy that you look at and has overall better numbers. The field goal percentage is better. The three-point shooting percentage is better. He is not scoring all that less amount of points than what Kimba is scoring. But Kimba has, if he continues through January 21st to play some good basketball, then maybe the numbers do get to a point where you have to pay attention to him. So the voting process, it is weighted 50% via the internet votes from what the fans vote on. And then it's 25% each from NBA players, and then 25% 
from some of the media members who regularly cover the league. So 25% weighted from the media members and the players, and then 50% for you guys, for the fans that get the vote. So it should be an interesting race to see who can get in that starting five for the Eastern Conference. I, I think Kyrie Irving might get in, but then maybe a Kimball Walker could beat out a Bradley Beal or a Kyle Lowry because it's going to be a two-guard format with three front court players. So it's not point guard, shooting guard, small forward, you have a couple of guards that can get in there. Hopefully Kimba can be one of them, and that's exactly how you do so. You can vote once again. I'll say it one more time. NBA.com, the NBA app, or you can vote via Google. And it's a pretty cool thing that they have this year that you can vote on Google's website. All right, thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets, and you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked on Hornets. I'll be back with you tomorrow.